part two of the Blue Rodeo episode of Canada FM and the second episode of season two. Brian, we're calling this episode one and a half, or is this the official second episode? Do you know what this is, Ted? It's like in Seinfeld, where the first season was, what, four episodes? Yeah. And then they spring into, like, 22 episodes season two. It's, it always seems to happen for some of these new shows. They get, like, a 13-episode order, and then the next season they go to, like, 25. <laughs> yeah, and then the next season they really get to spread their wings, and you see how long the season is but nowadays you know you do eight and if you're lucky you get to do eight more and it's just how it is with uh, hbo and stuff yeah but that's all the cable premium shows yeah oh we're a premium show that's true we are five star men that's right and it's free so there you go you don't have to pay for it like (laughs) hbo or whatever um hey yeah so we're doing part two of um our Blue Rodeo pro- podcast, a look into one of the seminal bands of all time, and uh, in Canada at least. And the last time we went through this, we covered Outskirts to Nowhere from Here. And uh, Brian, you want to give us a recap of what we learned and what we went through in that first episode last week? Well, uh, Blue Rodeo, uh, they met on the football field, at least Cuddy and uh, what's his nuts? Greg Keeler. Thank you. Um, and then they uh, bonded on a road trip. They Keeler just started wandering Lake Louise like a you, weirdo. You know, when I when I asked you to recap us, I didn't mean to recapture every single moment. The hey, headlines, hey, the bold why don't print. You, why don't you be specific, you dink? All right, fine. The their first few albums were crushing it. They were uh, Gram, not Grammy, uh, Juno royalty, just uh, sweeping up like a janitor. Um, and then when they hit the mid '90s, they uh, the last album was okay, but it just wasn't uh, as tight and as you know action-packed as their uh, first few albums, and they just weren't the same dynamic, like you know switching it up. Um, they weren't fusing in all these things. It just felt very middle of the road to me. Yes, but those first five albums set a very high standard for the band and uh, really will be looked at as vintage, classic rodeo. So now initially we had a misunderstanding before last week's. I thought we were going to do the first seven discs. So this script, but we stopped after Nowhere to Hear. So I thought we were going to stop after Tremolo. So this script really starts just kind of (laughs) mid-sentence. cliffhanger yeah (laughs) so really what we're doing okay so they finished nowhere to hear and like i said it it, the brian captured it well it was it was looked at as not one of their best it wasn't as good as the first five which are considered to be classics um so at that point they decided to take a little time off and spread their wings and that's when greg keeler would become the first founding member of blue rodeo to release a solo album his debut album would be called Gone, and he actually scored a minor hit with a song called White Marble Ganesh, which reached number 44 on the charts, and the album itself did crack the top 100 at nine, number 95. Now, because we're focusing largely on the band Blue Rodeo, I do just Hold have on, a little blur. Just a second there, Professor. Did you listen to this <laughs> album, uh, Gone? No, I did not. But I was just wondering, uh, did, when you say top 100, 
<laughs> we were focusing on Blue Rodeo. I'll listen to it another time. But anyway, uh, oh, don't eye roll me. I'm surprised because you said you said you use that lie from Office Space when <laughs> he screws over Milton Adams by fixing the glitch. Yeah. Uh, when you say top 100, was that in Canada or in the states? Did he actually crack the? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so I, was getting, I was getting excited for a second. But you know, that's still not bad. People were aware of it. Yeah, but I feel like coming is like all he has to do is say, "Hey, remember me? I was in Blue Rodeo. My album's crushed. Buy my album." And you think that would have been an, enough uh, catnip or the the fuel or the moth to the flame? You know what I mean? That's basically what happened. Top 100. I, th- I was expecting well, like nothing to sneeze at. Top 10. Uh, Do you have a top 100 album? Ted, you've seen me play guitar and you've heard me sing. I ain't making nothing. I'm making a bunch of noise. <laughs> That's all I'm making. So there you go. So he's one better than you. Well, he's like probably it, 10 better than me, but. Well, anyway, um, in his solo career, Greg Keeler has released a total of five albums. Uh, including Share the Love, which came out earlier this year. So something nice and recent from some Blue Rodeo content. He also composed the music for the Paul Gross Western comedy, Gunless. I know you're quite the Paul Gross buff. Did you ever see that one? I did. How was the music? It was very Western-y, if memory (laughs) serves. I've only seen it once. (laughs) Okay. uh, I I know you like that guy, so I wasn't sure. Although, funny that you bring up him. I started re-watching Due South again. Yeah. It's campy, but I still love it. Do you want to explain to our American listeners, all, like, two of them? Uh, (laughs) I did ask Brent, who I know is the only person listening in the U.S., if to share this with his American friends. He's like, I don't have any friends. That's what he said to me. Like, Brent is loved everywhere he goes. He's beloved everywhere. I'm sure he has friends. But why don't you explain what Due South is? So Paul Gross plays a Mountie, Benton Fraser, who tries to track the murder, uh, the murder of his father, and it, it uh, finds him in the Chicago, or he befriends a police, a wisecracking police detective named Ray Vecchio. And I didn't realize this when I got into the show uh, when I was little. That the first episode was actually like a TV movie. It was like two hours, and yeah. um, and then so the the TV movie spoilers. It ends with him like basically being banished from Canada. So that's why he's in Chicago. Because on paper it really makes no sense. What the hell's a Mountie doing in Chicago? So it's basically a weekly cop show with him helping out uh, his cop buddy solve Chicago crimes, whilst. Uh, Basically having one toe in the Canadian pool, basically. Because <laughs> he's always in you, uniform. Can I tell you the only thing that bugged me about Due South? Because I like Due South. Yeah. Was that it's supposed to take place in the States. And Paul Gross's character, Benton Fraser, is supposed to be this fish out of water. Yet the show is so insanely Canadian. <laughs> he seems right at home. It's always cold. People well, it's talk Chicago. still with the accents. Yeah, but you're not talking. Hey, this is the Chicago stance. You gotta eat your <laughs> man, hey, we're gonna beef get a, sandwich. Like we're gonna get a sausage stuff. and pepper sandwich. A whole hey. Watch the bears. Yeah, bears. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be a good time. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's the, also, let's be honest, Ted. It wasn't until like the late 2000s, mid to late 2000s, uh, that Canadian content really started to get taken somewhat seriously. And it really, Shit's Creek and Letterkenny and like Trailer Park Boys and uh, 
It's another terrible show that everyone seems to love. Kenny versus Spenny are sure. the, literally the only big shows that have really made uh, <laughs> much of an impact. Canadian television. You know, what's that other terrible show everyone loves? <laughs> you're trying to sell it like it's this great thing, and you're sitting there shitting on it. I, I mean, it's just literally spy versus spy, but both of those guys are so unlikable, and they're such dinks. Um, it has its audience. But, although, did uh, in the late 2000s, when cop shows were all the rage, did Flashpoint ever make a splash down there, do you think? I, I, believe, I believe the Flashpoint team. Got some exposure in the States. Yes. <laughs> One of the few celebrities I can do an impression of. Enrico Colatino. Hey, Flashpoint team. Get in there and stop the bad guy. Ah, oh, Veronica. I don't like you running around in alleys late at night. Ah, Finch. I'm tired of sleeping with all these models. Danish! No, now I'm getting there. You're going to know Enrico Colatino. He's the guy from Just Shoot Me and Veronica Mars and all that stuff. That's what was supposed to be. It's a bit of a seawalk, but yeah. There's no seawalk in there, I don't think. There's a bit of a seawalk. There's, there's a bit of a, there's a. There's a pattern to the speech, like this. But walking is more exaggerated. I'm not going to get into that. All right. <laughs> Everyone and their grandpa does Everyone a walk. Everyone does a walk, and I know I'm nothing special. I know. Hey, you know what we were supposed to be doing? Talking about Blue Rodeo. <laughs> you haven't gotten to the first fucking album yet. I'm Easy. Here, trying to tell you about Greg solo career, and then you want to talk about Do South, the Canadian TV shows, and you, you egged me into doing my bang up Enrico Colatoni impression. Hey, <laughs> hey. All right, let's move on here. All right. After so much success, Blue Rodeo uh, was affected somewhat by the lukewarm reaction to Nowhere to Hear. So they decided to take a brand new approach to the recording of their 1997 album, their seventh album, Tremolo. Nobody in the band was given access to the songs until the day of recording. And uh, this was done as a way to capture some spontaneity in the studio, similar to what kind of happened on Five Days in July, how they had no intention to release that album. They were just kind of screwing around in uh, Jim Cuddy's barn. Um, yeah. Now, while Tremolo would top the country album charts, it actually got to number one, uh, it reached eight overall in Canada. Uh, it only went single platinum, which at the time when Blue Rodeo was going like eight times platinum with Five right. Days in July, it seemed like a bit of a disappointment. Jim um, Cuddy's like, how could this not do better? I need seven more mink coats. <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a very ardent environmentalist. I'm not sure if a mink coat is tough on its Actually, priority list. You're probably right. He's like, I need ten more denim shirts. Yes, or he needs those uh, western shirts with uh, sewn-on flowers and phoenixes and and the stars and stuff on. You know, I've got one. I actually have really? a western shirt that I picked up at uh, Value Village, and I love it. I never get to I wear it. Get but one. I, look, I look slick in it. It's got little horses uh, on it. You know the band, the Dirty Nil from Dundas. Yeah. The lead singer, Luke, that's his look. He has all a bunch of those Western shirts. And you wouldn't expect it from that type of band, but that's no. his thing. But that's just the thing. I remember Bill Burr filmed a special, and he was wearing one of those shirts. Yeah, the Walk <laughs> Your Way Out special. I remember that. Yeah, but Jim Cuddy's the type of guy who would, he pulls off that shirt well. Yeah. Uh, one of the people who did buy this album, Steve and Janet Jessup, this is oh, the yeah? one Blue Rodeo album that we had. And uh, they, oh, you're going to love this story, Brian. 
This was for my uh, my sister. Uh, she really, really loved the song It Happened to You, which we'll get into in just a second. Um, and she mentioned how much she liked Blue Rodeo because of that song. So Valentine's Day comes along, and I had been listening more and more to Big Shiny Tunes 2, which you had. Mm. I yeah. really, really wanted it. <laughs> so, God, I'm such a, I was such a shitty kid. I conducted a plan to tell my parents that all of my friends were getting Valentine's Day gifts from their parents. And I was surprised that we never get Valentine's Day gifts. How come we never got it? When it's a thing to do, you get a Valentine's Day gift. And Actually, one time I, my mom got me a Curtis Joseph Team Canada bobblehead. She came home from work one day. She's like, here you go. I was like, what's this for? I was See? like, I don't know. It's a nice... And she gave me a little chocolate. You can't so. call me a liar. Anyway, um, so I pushed them into it and dropping hints that I really like Blink, Blink Shiny Tunes too. Uh, it's a really good album. Right? Just dropping su- subtle hints. Sure enough, on Valentine's Day, and I remember I had a karate grading. I got my Big Shiny Tunes too. My brother got Air Force One on VHS. <laughs> Get off my plane. Oh, there you go. And my sister <laughs> got Tremolo by Blue Rodeo. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, three singles were released from this disc. You had "No Miracle, No Dazzle." Where Keeler sounds just like Bob Dylan, a trend mm-hmm. that would definitely continue more and more as he got older. Uh, that one failed to chart. You had the jazzy ballad "Falling Down Blue," which peaked at number fifty. Miss you. By far the runaway hit from Tremolo, and I just mentioned it, was It Could Happen to You, which made it to number four. We don't even understand the thing you say. It could happen to you. On the singles charts, and uh, is the most recent Blue Rodeo single. That is not true. I was going to say it's the most recent Blue Rodeo single that continues to get airplay, but there's a bunch of stuff later on that continues to get airplay, so that's <laughs> that's a bunch of malarkey. They, so a lot of their newer stuff gets uh, airplay. The cat is trying to jump onto the table. Okay. He had a bunch of phantom jumps, and then I was like, no, 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 no. I got, I got work to do here. But uh, I love that freaking song, It Could Happen to You. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, The to be honest, I mean... I was because of the kind of letdown from the previous album. The, this one, I didn't go in with a lot of high standards. I felt like this was kind of like they almost hit their mid to late '90s lull before their resurgence, their charge. But because uh, I, f- I also felt like the song selection, or like not the song selection, but the the order was, eh, because. I felt like with Moon and Tree, it, it just kind of came in... The first two songs kind of came in very somber, and it didn't really pick up yeah. to No Miracle, No Dazzle. I felt like if they had kicked it off with Graveyard, that's a hell of a song. Um, I have listed here, Graveyard is fucking awesome. <laughs> that's a great but yeah. song. But it almost Graveyard almost feels like a hidden track, because I, I can't remember what the second to last track was called. 
but it ends with like a long instrumental yeah, it just kind of Frog's fades lullaby. out into nothing and we've talked before about with the closing track about how it can feel like an encore sometimes and Graveyard yeah. definitely feels like an encore because that is that is their sure. hardest rocking song in their discography and we've listened yeah. to their entire discography Graveyard <laughs> yeah. rocks yeah and I think if they had uh, maybe kicked it off with uh uh, what is it? Uh, either me and Baz, or um, no miracle, no dazzle, and then kind of peppered in the uh, the slower ones, and then put it one of the faster ones, and then graveyard or something. I think it might would have flowed a little bit better. Okay, it was just kind of like it was almost like uh, some sort of weird like slow lower like thinking you're you know it's gonna be a slow album. The whole thing's just gonna be more ballady, more kind of uh, country. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like it's like when Rocky, when Burgess Meredith says, "Hit him with the left," and then boom, you get one of these fast songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the the songs I really like, the country rock there that I really liked was um, "I Could Never Be That Man" and "Fallen from Grace." I really mm-hmm. like those songs as well as "It Could Happen to You." Yeah. Uh, but one thing that you can say about those first five Blue Rodeo albums that even though they definitely had their share of slow songs. They were never boring. And I yeah. got myself really into a lull kind of in the middle where I was just completely zoned yeah. out. And it's not like I just had this on in the background. I listened to it attentively. Yeah, it lost me a little bit. Yeah, and same. yeah, you know, um, they're a band that's ballad heavy. That's their thing. And I'll never take it away from them. I'll never accuse them of their slow songs because they have some of the best slow songs in rock music. Yeah. But... There, there, there were a couple of misses here, and um, I think it's a shade better than Nowhere to Hear, but you're yeah, right. Yeah. There was a bit of a lull at that point. The other thing I, I'm noticing, and we'll kind of talk about it as it uh, progresses, since they switched from like vinyls to CDs, or maybe they were always doing CDs, but they were really taking full advantage of filling the whole damn CD, and I feel like they, they needed, these later <laughs> albums needed an editor. <laughs> You know what's funny? Blue Rodeo has never released an EP. Yeah. So many bands that we go through. There's an EP here. There's an EP there. I try to figure out when I'm writing the script if I'm going to mention the EP or not, if it's worth listening to. Blue Rodeo doesn't have any. When they go in to record, it must be like a bonding experience they really enjoy as the band. Because they want to get the most out of those sessions. And that is something I can appreciate. Oh, yeah. And not only that, Cuddy and Keeler are just so prolific with their writing. They just never stop. Yeah. And uh, so they have a lot to say, which is great. But I think if they, you know, a couple of last week, I was going for a drive and I was listening to the ongoing history of new music. Uh, The surviving members of the Tragically Hip, they interviewed them about that new EP, Saskadelphia. Yeah. Uh, which is, for those who don't know, is basically lost songs that were literally found in an abandoned mine, which is crazy. They, really they found they, in a mine? Yeah. So they have basically, they'll outfit these mines to keep old, you know, uh, quarter inch reels and, you know, dummies, like whatever things that they don't use just to keep it so it doesn't like go bad or doesn't... Uh, Wilt. I don't know how <clears throat> record stuff works, but it's basically just a. <laughs> it's 
it's not a flower, but I guess, I guess yeah, the real can wilt. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the reels and stuff, the reel to reels, yeah. audio tape and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, they found it in a mine where, wow. like, uh, I think it was Warner Music kept their stuff. Like, they knew this stuff was existed. They just they had to go to like three different spots. Anyway, the whole point of the story is they were talking about the vigorous, you know selection process for road apples and why mm. some of these songs got cut and i feel like some in some of these newer blue rodeo albums they need more of a you know outsiders like i don't know bring maybe bring in one of their buddies maybe bring in someone like a gord downey who can like uh yeah, some of these could get cut you know what i mean so well, like someone who's not so close that is the other thing too is is you'll see especially what we're about to come up on there's a long string of blue rodeo albums that are self-produced yeah. So it's the Keeler, Cuddy, Basil Donovan, whoever's on drums at the time, keyboards and pedal steel <laughs> at the time show. Um, and, but that's, they're right, he's musicians. I guess. You know, and that's one of the things I actually like about them is you can't say that for a lot of bands when you have totally, con- total control over what you produce and what you release. That's, that's a big thing. Yeah, that's true. No one's censoring you. Yeah, yeah. They're not gonna have you know the four-hour cutty cut of. <laughs> of five hey, that days movie was great. July or something. If I know. I'm just trying, saying they have complete control and they can the release Snyder whatever cut. they want. I loved it. No, I liked it too. I'm just saying they have control over what they want to do, which is big when you're an artist. Yeah, that's my piece. Okay, well. Blue Rodeo would take a longer break than usual from releasing albums following Tremolo, uh, but that allowed Jim Cuddy to release his first solo album, All In Time, in 1998. It proved to be a commercial success, reaching number 38 on the album charts. There you go, Brian. Impressed by that? Thumbs up. A little bit better than 95. All right. (laughs) And uh, it produced a trio of moderately successful singles. You had All In Time, Too Many Hands, and disappointment. And in total, Jim Cuddy would release five solo albums, and uh, he'd even work as a feature artist on uh, with musicians like Melanie Doan and George Canyon. Actually, with George Canyon, um, they recorded a cover. Shoot, it was a interesting. What the fuck was the cover? Hold on here. You know, it was funny li- listening to last week's. How many times we had to stop <laughs> and look at what we were doing. On our phones, because I didn't, we didn't put it in the notes. Hold on, the one he put out with singles, music videos. Come on, where is he? Guest artist, guest singles. Okay, Poncho and Lefty. That's it, Poncho and Lefty, <laughs> which is the great uh, Willie Nelson folk song. I believe it was written. I can't remember who wrote it originally, but it's a great folk song. And him and George Canyon did that one together. So that was pretty cool. And uh, he'd earn two Juno awards for his solo ventures. And he'd release his own wine brand in 2016. So out there somewhere is the Jim Cuddy wine uh, if you want to try it. And also he is the one of the two captains every year of the Juno's hockey tournament. So yes, yeah, they, they have that. a big hockey game and Cuddy is one of the captains and uh yeah, I, I guess there's a lot of... It just, just goes to show you how everyone in Canada plays hockey. We have a hockey yeah. game made up of Juno nominees. Okay, yeah, they I all w- play. When I was uh, doing getting prep ready for the Maestro episode way back, <laughs> um, 
I was just finding clips of because I wanted to find a clip of Classified talking about Maestro, and so I got a clip of Master T interviewing him. And it was at the Geono. He's like, "Yeah, it was a fun game. I got to play with Jim." And da, da, da. I was like, "Of course you did." <laughs> Um, now, at some point, we might do an episode focused on Scotty solo work, but we're not doing that today. This is Blue Rodeo, and we're only into one album. Let's go on to album number eight. Blue Rodeo would release the first of four live albums. We're still not into it. That's my bad. <laughs> Throughout their career, uh, just like Vacation later that year, uh, it reached number 20 on the album charts, and ultimately, it achieved platinum status, which is pretty damn good for a live album. Now, the old method of releasing an album every 18 months was a thing of the past by the time they put out their eighth release, The Days In Between. Here we are, we're all cut up, you son of a bitch. It was released in January of 2000, three years after Tremolo. Now, for this, they'd recruit producer Trina Shoemaker, and she's an American, but she's worked close with Canadian production legend Daniel Landois, kind of his his protege. And... Uh, Who'd she work Related. with? Emma Lou Harris. Remember we were talking about Lucinda oh, Williams yeah. and Emma Lou Harris. Yep, yep. Throw her into that mix. Uh, but she also worked with Queens of the Stone Age and Sheryl Crow. And she'd earn a Grammy for her work with Christian music superstar Stephen Curtis Chapman and his album All Things New. What a way to win a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> the days well, between... I mean- yeah. The uh, Christian rock is often labeled as hot garbage. So, I mean, if you have remotely any talent, you can make a good one. <laughs> Might as well sneak in. It's like when people pivot from rock to country. It's like, oh, this market sucks ass. I- I'm going to take over beat these donkeys at their own game. I, 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 uh, I'm not going to get into the Christian rock. But uh, I will say uh, The Flood by Jars of Clay. I try to stay positive. That's a killer song. That's a good right. tune. Well, P.O.D. Take, take, for a take, while. Take a I don't ten. know if they still are. There you go. MXPX is good. Actually, I read that MXPX, as of like 2016, they specifically requested to be like withdrawn from that like Christian rock. Maybe even earlier than that. But they're like, yeah, please don't classify us as Christian punk or rock anymore. Because Mike Herrera is like said, I'm spiritual, but I'm not Christian anymore. Uh, all right. Well, we, we, we've, we've named two quote unquote Christian rock bands and one song by a Christian rock band that are pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, the days in between. (laughs) Days in between. Uh, It started hot on the charts, my man. Oh, red hot. Reached number four. Uh, But sales kind of petered out, and uh, they only got to gold status, which compared to their early work is a bit of a disappointment. Um, Sad Nights, The Days in Between, which is an awesome Greg Keeler tune. Begging you to let me in, which is a fun one. They were all released as singles, but they all failed to chart. However, the bouncy and fun somebody waits. That did pretty well. 
It reached number eight on the adult contemporary charts. And Brian, we used to have this channel called Bravo. Do you remember Bravo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bravo was big into the arts. And um, they used to play this jazz show. And it was just old jazz performances every week, every day, weekday at like six. And because I was big into the saxophone, I'd watch it. I like the music. And I like watch Jazz is one of those mu- uh, music genres, along with classical for me that I can only appreciate it if I'm watching it. Right. I need the visual aspect to go along with the music, right? So I can go to the symphony and watch a three-hour symphony and be amazed and applauding, but you put it on a CD and it's not going to hold my attention. See what I mean? Um, so I watched that, you know, I was learning the sax and everything like that, and it would get me in the mood to practice. Um, they used to play the video for Somebody Waits uh, as bumpers in the commercial breaks. Yeah. So like in the middle of the commercial break, somebody waits. Yeah. It's kind of cool. And the video was just them like a live performance of them playing it recorded. It wasn't anything special, but yeah. Yeah. They played that over and over. But that's a fun song. I like that one. I tell you this much. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of my, uh, of the, of the second half of the career or so far, this is one of my favorites. Yeah, I agree. It came in with this weird sneaky jazz. They hadn't gone back to the jazz in uh, since like outskirts. <laughs> no, they had a, they had a that... jazz tune on um, tremolo, but it was like a really, really, really slow one. Oh yeah. Okay, fine. More up tempo jazz. Okay. Uh, with that uh, that cinema song, I love that song. Yeah, it was and, a good one. Uh, then there was just yeah, the whole album, the road, or sorry, this road. I love this road. This road's that was a great one. song. That was one of mine that I wrote down. Uh, Andrea. That Andrea yeah. was a great song. Yeah, I was just about to say. So yeah, this and whole album is definitely felt more of a return to form for them to me. Well, how about the rage where yeah. Keeler says "fuck"? Yeah, I was shocked. They were pretty. Like, Whoa, they've, been, said, Fuck. they've been pretty clean band up to this point, but even the hip and has like one or two songs. They're yeah. right to the fuck. <laughs> I didn't even think they said "ah oh, crap." <laughs> I don't think so. They're pretty squeaky <laughs> clean, those fellas. They say, ah, crap. Not too many. <laughs> I was still shocked by that. You know what? For me, this album was back to form for Blue Rodeo. No gimmicks like getting electric on Nowhere to Hear, uh, not giving the, the music to the band at the last minute like on Tremolo. They just did what they do best, which is play this great folksy country rock and uh yeah i was a big fan thumbs up up ebert's all around right brian (laughs) exactly ebert's all around um actually this album despite them being active for three years actually continued their streak of being nominated for best group at the juno awards but not having the album nominated for anything or any of the songs so yeah they were nominated uh they lost to bare naked ladies that year Second uh, time so BNL beat was, them for that would award. Would that have been uh, Stunt? Or is that... I think that's Maroon. That's okay, yeah. Yeah, I think that was oh, yeah, Maroon. Stunt was like 98. That's right. And you know what? I'm a bigger Bare Naked Lady fan than um, I am a Blue Rodeo fan in general. But I would say I think... Um, I think this album's better than Maroon. I don't know. The Maroon has a lot of great songs. <laughs> that's my hot take. That's my hot take. Uh, one final note. This is interesting. I want to hear what you have to say. One final note. The closer on this album is called Truscott. 
And it's a reference to Stephen Truscott, who in 1959 was wrongfully convicted uh, for killing his classmate, Lynn Harper, and sentenced to death. Now, Brian, since you hate everything millennial and everything that gets an <laughs> online following pisses you off and you're always on edge about anything that people thinks that people think is cool, what are your thoughts on the public's renewed interest in true crime? Um... I mean, I'm not going to act like some hipster. Like, oh, I was watching that friggin' creepy Gacy movie with Jeremy Renner before anyone was. But uh, I think that was it. Yeah, it was Gacy. Okay. Take your word for it. Early on in his career, he he did... Or no, was it Dahmer? Brian Dennehy played John Wayne Gacy. No, it was Dahmer. Sorry, he did a Dahmer movie. Oh, and apparently, okay. it was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to act like I'm some hipster who was into true crime before everybody. I mean, it's it's just like anything. It's a flavor of the time, and it'll peter out eventually because everything's going to be done to death. And I don't know. It is it is what it is. It's very basic, basic bitch. <laughs> As they say. Well, it's you a know, common expression. Well, I, don't I would look come, at me like I would that. I come home from... Well, it's, just, it's, it's, it's... I thought you were going one way, but then you went the way I was expecting. That's all. I thought you were going to take me by surprise, but then he just, no, no, no. Same but at, at the end of the Ryan. day, yeah. at the end of the day, people like what they like, and, you know, I'm not going to tell them not to like, not to, like, oh, why don't you watch something that no one is watching, some, like, weird, creepy Russian art house film, where the guy's smoking a rolled-up cigarette, all sad clown sits in the window. Like, I'm not going to tell people to watch that shit. Watch your stupid true fucking crime. I don't care. Actually, I listen to a true crime. No, no, I don't. Sorry, I listen to... It's partially true crime, partially, like, conspiracy. Because they talk about, like, serial killers and stuff. Okay. But they, they talk about it from, like, a conspiratorial anger. But... Uh, angle. But they, they do it with all sorts of things. Like, they did one, like, a four-hour episode about Bob Marley. And how, well, like, we're, like... There's a lot like, of conspiracy gun- theories around yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they talk yeah. about all sorts of things. It's not just serial killers, but that seems to be a lot of it. But, so, even there, here you go. I even got a semi-toe dipped into that pool, so... There you go! All right, all right. There we go. Brian doesn't hate every single thing millennials love. <laughs> but, like even I said... you are technically a millennial. You're an old millennial, but you're a millennial. Yeah, we're yeah. at the start, starting half of it. All right. Uh, where was I here? Okay. What came, what came after uh, <laughs> the days in between? Couldn't remember the album for a second. It was a Greatest Hits album. That came up next, and uh, they actually released a single for this one, and it was a cover of the Bee Gees classic, To Love Somebody, which is one of... It's, it is the second best BJ, Bee Gees song. Yeah, the first one you got was Staying Alive, just because I, pl- I, I played... You know what? Okay. In my life, Brian, as a radio disc jockey, a wedding DJ... Uh, DJ for all kinds of parties. When you play "Staying Alive," it yeah, still classic. packs the dance floor. Okay. <laughs> if I were to play, you don't know what it's like. No, no one's gonna get up. All right, it's a great song. If I just want to sit around listening to it, but "Staying Alive" has more purposes. If I, if I talk about the greatest BG song, that'd be it. Although, that's weird that To Love Somebody is so highly regarded on the top. Like, there's so many songs I love more. Like, Island in the Stream. Uh, the What's that song? See, they really got me beat. You schooled me there. I always thought Islands in the Stream was Dolly and Kenny. Well, I think they wrote it. But the Bee Gees just did a cover. Oh, okay. But they just, they crushed it. Uh, 
and they they have a song uh what's that called nights nights on broadway that song is great that song i'm gonna play a clip right now well my my question to you is have you heard the blue rodeo cover of to love somebody and as a bg's aficionado did Ugh, i get it right I'm this come time to the computer and punch you i didn't get it right aficionado aficionado aficionado, aficionado. <laughs> oh my god you were just killing are you doing this intentionally are you trying to like half bring my piss to a boil Half and half. <laughs> trying to break out of saying it incorrectly, but I'm also overdoing the correct pronunciation. <laughs> so half and half. I know what you think of their cover. It's I haven't heard it yet. I'll hear it. I'll listen to ah, it later. That's, dy- that's, that's dynamite. Uh, <laughs> what did you think? From Blue Rodeo is their self-produced 2002 record, Palace of Gold. Now, this album saw the band accompanied by the Bushwhack Horns on a whole bunch of tracks. And Brian, you know me. I'm horny for the horn section. He's a horn dog. That's right. Uh, this album saw a lot better than the days in between, reaching number six on the album charts and achieving platinum status. It's been a while since they've hit that platinum status marker. Um, the singles charting were the days. Oh, that's right. The days of singles charting were behind Blue Rodeo at this point, and this album produced four, and not a single one charted. Hmm. However, I can tell you that the Jim Cuddy ballad "Bulletproof" did get some spins on the radio. much more music in CMT. And Cuddy, when he wrote that song, Bulletproof, he was trying to emulate Ron Sexsmith's writing style. And uh, initially, yeah, he had actually written this. He had promised it to Basil Donovan for a solo project Basil Donovan was doing. But he liked it so much, he said, I'm keeping it. (laughs) (laughs) At least he shared it with the band instead of putting it on a solo record. Uh, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's just like what uh, Springsteen did to the Ramones with Hungry Heart. Yeah. But let's be honest. Yeah. That does not feel like when you when you think about Hungry Heart, I mean, I know the Ramones are basically just like Beach Boys songs dialed up to 11, but that yeah. still doesn't feel like a Ramones type song. I don't know. We'll never well, know. I guess. Yeah, we'll never know. Yeah. Uh, where was I here? Uh, oh, Okay. Now, this album must hold a special place in the hearts of the guys from Blue Rodeo, as several tracks had been re-recorded from this album on other releases. Uh, Glad to Be Alive appears on their 2014 Christmas album, of all places, and uh, (laughs) Cuddy would re-record Clearer View on his 2019 solo release, Countrywide Soul. Also, 
The title track, which really reminds me of Incense and Peppermints by the Strawberry Alarm Clock. I don't know if you got that vibe from uh, the song yeah. Palace of Gold. Uh, it was covered by the Sadies, and Greg Keeler would even produce that track when it was recorded. So a lot of they're getting inspiration from a lot of different places on this album. And Brian, get this. In 2003, Blue Rodeo would be nominated for more Junos than just Group of the Year. Well, they broadened their horizons. Yeah, well, of course they were nominated for that one, which they'd lose to some 41. And they'd be for nominated what? for single. What? For uh, for All Killer, No Filler? Uh, 2003. Or was that Does I This Look Infected? I think that would be that Does This Look Infected. Okay. I don't know yeah. 100%. I think that's what it was. Um, but then, uh, yeah, Blue Rodeo, they'd also be, uh, Bulletproof would be nominated for Single of the Year, but that would lose to Complicated by Avril Lavigne, and that song Ugh. was a juggernaut. It was a juggernaut of a song. It was a turd. But it was, uh, there's a reason why we're not going to have an Avril Lavigne episode, because she was incredibly successful in the U.S. And you know the Junos, they like the talent that goes beyond. How come every episode we sit here, all the Junos, these bands lose? To the bands we can't cover. It happens all the time. And that's why when one of our guys who didn't make it beyond Canada wins, it's a big deal. I got a real beef with Avril and it has nothing to do with her music. It's her What's stupid look. It's her stupid look of that time where she wears the, like, the ties. Because you remember, sometimes I would just be like, oh, whatever, I'll go for my scholar look. And I'll literally wear like a slacks and a shirt and tie. And I'll, I'll literally wear it to school. And 90% of the people thought I was on a sports team. Because our school, like, whenever you yeah. had a game that day, you yeah. had to wear a tie, a shirt and tie. Uh, and other people were like, what, are you listening to Avril Lavigne? I'm like, no, you fuckface. It's Scott. That's how, like, the two-tone Scott people dress. Are you a, are you a maroon? And uh, they're like, what's good? I'm like, all right, you're, you're dead to me. <laughs> and that's why we weren't more popular in high school. <laughs> Yeah, we hey, also had... Guys? No, you dead to me. Five minutes later. So, bam. I am not here to bash Dane Cook. <laughs> I'm here to talk about Blue Rodeo. And I'm actually here to talk about an album that I thought was fucking awesome. Yeah. I loved Palace of Gold. Yeah, it was same. great. The horns were a welcome addition. I definitely got big 60s vibes from this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of Beatles, lots of CCR. And, uh, well, here we go, Brian. I made sure to keep track of my favorite deep cuts. Going to do this from now on. Keep it pace with you. I had a comet. There is a comet floating through this endless night. And clearer view. That's what I was going to say. Um... Let's see. There was another one that I liked. Uh, oh, I really like Cause for Sympathy. So, now I don't be your cause for sympathy. Okay. That was a good one. Yeah. It's just a great album. And, uh, yeah, they, they, hey, you know what? They stalled a little, but they came back strong with two in a row. So, yeah, yeah they're doing well right now into the mid-aughts. 
Uh, up next is 2005's Are You Ready? Uh, which, like most Blue Rodeo albums, they get off to that hot start in the sales, gets to number three on the Canadian album charts, but then cools. And Brian, this one fell back down to a gold status. And uh, 2005, people were still buying CDs in 2005. Oh, yeah. The, the streaming wasn't in yet. Downloading really hadn't taken off. And most of Blue Rodeo's core audience would have to have their teenagers show them how to download uh, an album. Anyway. <laughs> Do you remember the first song you ever downloaded on? on uh... Yes. What was it? It was Who Let the Dogs Out. Oh, my God. And it took... 36 hours to download. And then when we listened to it, we could only listen to like half of it. And it didn't download properly. And that was, we never used Napster again. Mine was uh, You Can Do It by Ice Cube off the yeah, next Friday. At least, at least you got a cool one. You know, it's like when people ask me what my first album was that I ever bought, it was Criss Cross's single, The Jump. It's not a cool one. You know what I mean? First song yeah. downloaded. Who let the dogs out? Not a cool one. Well, do you Jeez. remember when we were in grade five and we had to do that stupid music project? Do you remember what I did mine on? Everyone's doing like Jeff Reiner did Ace of Base. You did Bare Naked Ladies. Do you remember what I did mine on? No, it was a fourth grade. We weren't in the same class. Well, I remember you doing Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, yeah, it was fourth one. Grade four. I did. Do Why do I have ladies. this memory? Because <laughs> I remember. I think you. we talked about it. And I know who you. Yeah, I, I know who you picked. I did Andrew Lloyd Webber. You, know you say it, Andrew <laughs> Lloyd Webber. There you go. But did Andrew Lloyd Webber not compose Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Yeah, because that's what I basically like. And does that have the absolute killer track that opens the show? Uh, you know, I close my eyes. Peel back the curtain. <laughs> whoa, whoa. That song's great. I love oh, yeah. that song. Any dream will Yeah. I remember I texted Park Hill because our friend Jake, who's been on the show before, when we go on road trips with him, he has this thing. No matter what you're listening to, if you're within an hour of home, he'll turn off what you're listening to. And he'll throw on Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat score. The, 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 the whole composition from the play. That's his tradition, his go-home music. And I thought he was nuts. But Any Dream Will Do. That's the name of the song. Any That's Dream Will was, Do. Yeah. And I remember I, I had to do a radio remote up here in Thunder Bay at like a motorcycle rally. And it was held right next to a grocery store. And I was getting burned. So I had a little bit of time, so I walked in to quickly to the grocery store at like 10 in the morning to quickly get some sunblock. And what are they playing over the grocery store loudspeaker? But any dream will do. And I stayed in there for the whole song, just smiling and <laughs> tapping my foot, and I texted Mark Hill, and yeah, it's a great song. No I've shame in I've seen that musical twice, once with Park Hill and Hamilton, once in Toronto with my family. My grandma got us tickets as a Christmas present when I was a kid. Yeah. And this is when the, my mom got hassled by the couple from Cincinnati. All right, the Canada should join the U.S. and make a super country, right? Yeah, and my mom's like, no, nah, yeah. we're good. Thanks. No thanks. My, mom was, my mom's a true patriot. She was like, basically tell those people to cram it with walnuts. Uh, did you get to see... When your grandma gave you those tickets, did you get to see Donny Osmond do it? I'm pretty sure, because it was like the mid-90s in Toronto. I think he was on that bill. Oh, wow. 
but because I remember walking around the theater district in Toronto and they had all these posters for Tommy, you know, the Who play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's one weird memory I had, but uh, I wish I had that seen that play. The Who were, yeah. Because I got into the Who so late, that's why. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still getting into some of those albums. Like, well, I still haven't heard Tommy. Okay, back to uh, Are You Ready? Okay? The songs I'm, of this I'm album. Ready. <laughs> now, for this, they pulled the songs from all kinds of different places. The title track is actually a re-record of a song off of Greg Keeler's second solo album. And Beverly Street was originally intended to appear on Diamond Mine. But it didn't make the cut, and the band forgot about the song completely. They had to relearn it for this album. It was reintroduced to them by Basil Donovan after he heard a band cover it. The band got access to a bootleg that they must have done at that time, where they still had it in their repertoire. They loved it so much hearing off the bootleg, they learned it, they performed it, so Blue Rodeo had to in turn relearn a song that they had written years earlier but didn't release. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, Also, geography was a big theme on this album. Beverly Street itself is a Toronto reference. You had Finger Lakes, which refers to a group of 11 long, narrow lakes in upstate New York. And of course, my favorite reference was in Runaway Train, where the sleeping giant is mentioned. Of course, that's a reference to our big mountain that sits on Lake Superior in my adopted home of Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay represent. Thunder Bay represent. Um, also, Rena was released. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's such Jesus. an aggressive and delayed reaction for the most like faint, like lighthearted, just boo. It's not like there's a rivalry between Hamilton and Thunder Bay. I don't even think LU plays Mac in any sports. No, because it's way the hell up there. Why would we? You guys stop at like oh, we Sudbury. Play, we play U of T. Oh, really? No, yeah, we play U of T, we play Windsor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How about you know what you're talking about? Sorry, Ted. I got more stuff in my city to focus on than your little small-time collegiate sports. I still yeah. think Thunder Bay should have a CFL team. But we'll get into that later. I got too many burns anyway. <laughs> that we don't have enough time. Anyway, anyway, moving Reno ahead. Reno was released as a single. I was, I was starting. Are you oh there a delay God. on your end? I said Reno was released as a single. You went, move ahead. There is a delay, you dumb dumb, because you literally oh, okay. like looked at me for a minute. That's why I was like saying it. There's like, there's definitely a delay. <laughs> God, right. I know we Set. joked last week about us being wildly tense, but now you're just taking it up to a whole other level. <laughs> Not trying to get. It. We're not trying to trigger a stroke here. We're just trying to, you know, ease through this this podcast as best I can. All right. Third time's charm. Rena was released as a single, but it failed to chart. Oh, Rena, please come out of me tonight. And that song is about Jim Cunning's wife, Rena. Uh, same wife that he wrote about on the song Five Days in May. And he wrote that track not only as a tribute to her, but as a return to their sound that was more prominently featured on Casino. Are You Ready would also nab a pair of Juno nominations. Yeah, they lost them both. Group of the Year to Nickelback, an adult alternative album of the year, which they lost to Neil Young and his album Prairie Wind. Now, Brian, for this album, bear with me. I had to take notes. 
because I wasn't able to listen to it at work where I usually fill out the script. Um, I listened to it at um, I listened to it just at home on the porch. It was actually really cool because I listened to it at dusk. And as the sun went down, right when we got into that like celtic song, the guy, you know, the guy from the Chieftains is playing the tin whistle. It's very medieval. A storm started. And it kind of fit perfectly with the album. It was a really nice experience just sitting outside listening to the album. So um, here's the only issue I have with this. I didn't write the tracks down. And there are uh, 12 tracks on this album. And I only have 10 notes. So I'll tell you the number. And you let me know if you think you know what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, hey, number one, Fun and Bouncy. Can't help wondering why. That was a great song. Okay. Number two, Big Surf Vibes, some Chris Isaac vibes. Kind of Are you ready? Me, oh, I, I dig it. Fall in love. Yeah. Uh, number three, I wrote Doug That Trumpet. More that's, 50s, 60s influences. Rena. Love how Keeler screams the chorus. Best song so far. I don't think that'd be Rena if Keeler sings on it. I, I'm literally staring at the Spotify. Unless the Spotify is all jumbled up. It's can't help wondering why. Are you ready? Number three is Rena. Oh, motherfucking Spotify. It did this to me tonight. Okay. I Okay. So I was listening to the double album tonight. And I think it was with the song uh, Candace. I was like, oh, this song's fucking awesome. And I went and I liked it. And I was like, oh, we're four from the, the end. We're almost done. So I wait four songs and I just check to see if it's the last song. And I'm back up halfway through the album. Are you What's sure you just on? didn't have it your shuffle on, on? Put it on shuffle. Yep, that's why. I think I had my shuffle on for this. Uh. Anyway, um, I wrote for number three, Dug That Trumpet. Uh, that was my favorite song so far, whatever it was. It's the one where Keeler screams in the chorus. Uh, number four, 60s British Invasion. Number five, Here Comes the Sun, Mellow and Beautiful. Number six, Nebraska Meets the Moody Blues, Murder at the Ren Fair. Sounds like no other Blue Rodeo tune cool song that's the medieval one with like sounds like a ren fair um all right it's, seven, uh, it's, most it's country so far thunder bay represent it's it's a good album it's on spotify you don't need our slapdick notes just go listen to it it's a good album i'm telling the people ted i'm not what's, talking what's about wrong you. With you i want to have fun with this oh <laughs> you're rat frink fine keep going you big baby <laughs> it's okay i think you ruined it <laughs> Sorry, Ted. I didn't. I didn't want to continue with your out of out of order notes. I didn't know it was out of order when I took the notes. You, my friend, are a rank amateur. Ah. Oh. My comment at the end was terrific album, not a gelding in the bunch. <laughs> What's a gelding? You don't even know what a gelding is. A gelding is a is a horse that's been neutered. Really? They're, I'm trying to say they're all studs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes, I was a very big fan of this. Uh, that makes three top-notch albums in a row for Blue Rodeo. Yes. <sighs> all right. You got you all worked up. You got me all worked up. <laughs> Let's try to take a deep breath in before we continue here, Brian. Big breath. I'm fine, Kevin Klein. You need to relax. 
I guarantee you when my brother listens to this episode, I'll have to give him the timestamp when you said that. He's going to lose his shit. All right. In 2007, Blue Rodeo celebrated their 20th anniversary with the release of Small Miracles. And it, too, would reach gold status, peaking at number five on the album charts. Three singles made it off this album, including Three Hours Away, which didn't chart. Maybe I worry what I will see. Now I'm only three hours away. Come on, which peaked at number 68 on the singles charts. Times like that and I've gone for everywhere. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on down with us. And this town, which made it to number 73. FM in Caledonia during my tenure there. Uh, this town kind of reminds me of a little bit of like Imagine by John Lennon, but also a little bit of Alone in the Universe by David Usher. Hmm. The melody reminds me of that song a lot. I love that song. Yeah. It received positive reviews across the board, like most Blue Rodeo albums do, with many critics pointing out how impressive it was for a 20-year-old band to consistently make fresh quality albums. There's no slowing Blue Rodeo. Those positive vibes were shared among the Juno Academy as Blue Rodeo would go three for three at that year's award ceremonies. They got best group, they got best alternative album, and video of the year for Come On. It's about fucking time. Yeah, they need a, a full clean sweep. Yeah, you know, with, with some of these bands, and I know Blue Rodeo's got like 11 Junos or whatever, but it just feels like they're running in place for a long time for recognition. You know what I mean? And I know they're one of the seminal bands in Canada, probably the top five, one of the top five Canadian bands ever, but I, it's good to see them finally get recognized again. You're, you're, like, you're like this kid who's, who's trying to get the second or third helpings of cake. These guys have had tons of cake. Like, look, at I know, but- look at Sloan. Sloan put out like a dozen great albums. They have one Juno to their name. I thought they had two. Two Junos. I thought it Sloan. was I thought it was just for one chord. Yeah, but I think they got two awards that year. Oh, still. Like okay, fine. One album got recognized. That's it. They <laughs> they routinely get recognized every album. <laughs> they ain't starving. I know, but to but to win a couple finally. Yeah. It's a good feeling to finally win. Alright? Jeez. Okay, where was I here? God, why are we getting so hot and bothered, right? Come it's, on, man. It's Friday. Same team, same team. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, now, those pause. Oh, I already did that. Now, this is a weird one because I liked the first half of this album, but it didn't really blow me away. I was like, you know what? This is your standard Blue Rodeo fare. It wasn't as good as the last three. I don't get why everyone's creaming their pants over this one. And then before the album ends, you get Black Ribbon, Small Miracles, Beautiful, and Where I Was Before, which are all just beautiful, personal songs. They're slow ones. But I was like, yeah, fucking Keeler and Cuddy did it to me again. (laughs) Just when I think, just when I thought they're out of ideas, 
they leave me wanting more. And granted, I do think that the last couple were better, but it's still a great album. Well, it's funny you say that because like, I agree. It was enjoyable. Um, but almost, I, I saw an interview with Greg Keeler. He had almost a laissez-faire attitude about it about this album because he they were he was promoting the double album the one we'll talk about next and he's like yeah. he's like uh he was almost like not saying that they phoned it in but he was just like i don't know he just didn't have as much of a connection to that album as he did like he was like really hyped when he was promoting this double album in that interview but this one he's like uh nothing to uh it was nothing to sneeze at but it did really well for us and yada 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 because he's talking about the awards but he just didn't have this like weird yeah. connection to it he was kind of it was like one of those albums where he's like we record it we'll tour it and i have no problem like never playing those songs again almost that's what it felt like to me that, that was wow. the vibe he okay. gave off in that album or in that interview and- and that's interesting because we we will get into that album again, the double one. Um, but what did you what did you think of? Um, no, I I enjoyed Miracles. it. Um, I mean, it, since they hit their like, little slump, I I think they're four for four. Like they're I call their slump. I but think they so were too. Still, <laughs> well, like, no, because yeah, you know, Tremolo and Nowhere to Hear are the two weakest to this point. Mm-hmm. And this is a far better album than those two. Um, and any other band, like we said, Nowhere to Hear and Tremolo would be perfectly fine albums. So they are fine yeah. on their own. I'm just comparing it to the others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I see what you mean. It's like, yes, it is part of the good 4 for 4, but it might be the bottom of the 4 for 4. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I see what you mean. I also wrote Blue House and Summer Girls are also bops. I like both of those songs. <laughs> I like that. Um, You're big on that expression, 2000- bops. That's a real. How often have you said bops? This, oh, uh, bop you in the nose. I've, I mean, aside from you threatening violence on me, that's the only time I've ever heard you say bops. I've never heard you say it to describe a song until we started this no. podcast. Is that something you picked up in Thunder Bay? The hip no, scene slang. Brian, I, what do you want me to? I, I gotta use words. <laughs> words that make people think. I can't just use the same word over and over again. Well, yeah, Blue House and Summer Girls, those are both really good. <laughs> those are both really great. The Bobs. Come on, man. What did I say last week? It was something, uh, your job is your oven to make sure the bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always coming up with new shit. Gotta stay fresh, man. Gotta be like Blue Rodeo. Stay fresh after all these years. All these all right. total of 10 episodes and a couple of off topics. Uh, <laughs> 2009 was a big year for the boys in Blue Rodeo, as they'd receive a star on the Canada Walk of Fame, becoming just the fifth band to receive that honor. They'd also get to play the halftime show at the 97th Grey Cup, yes, the infamous Too Many Men on the Field game, and their set list was decided by the fans that year in an online poll. Uh, The fans would select Till I'm Myself Again, Hasn't Hit Me Yet, and Lost Together. Basically, I think you got pretty much the perfect set list. Uh, I could argue by putting Try in there instead of Till I'm Myself Again. But then again, then you're dealing with three ballads and it's the halftime show of a uh, great cup. You want the, you know, the hard stuff, not the hard stuff, but the upbeat stuff like Till I'm Myself Again. I think that's probably the best possible set list you could put together. But what would be the Brian last Mr. Deep Cuts three tracks? You don't want to see Blue Rodeo play at a, at a great cup. 
Uh, see, mine would probably because they're all deep cuts. Like I can't pick it right in this second. I need a minute to like uh, compile a list. But mine probably would be all deep cuts. So all the fans would be like, "The hell is this shit? I want singles. Let's rush them." And then I'll get rangy. Well, just off the top of my head, give me three. All right. Uh, let's see. So I mean, off like if I took one off like outskirts, I would love like heart like mine. I think that would be a great one. Okay. Um, if I pulled one off of, actually, I'd I'd probably pull one. I uh, uh, what's the one? Walk like you don't mind. I'd pull on that one off of uh, play, Palace of Gold. Get the horns out there. Make it nice. Uh, That'd be cool. Yeah. And then who knows? Maybe they could take like a take that horn section. Get them to throw a little horn riff in heart like mine or something. That'd be cool. And uh, yeah. Let's see. Um. Quickly going through the albums here. Give me a hot sec. I feel like... Uh, where is it? Actually, if I was going with that set, then putting on a ballad like a try or something like that, then bringing it down, that would be okay. Okay, all right. So, so you went a different route. But, uh, yeah, okay. Right. That's admirable. Now, before we get off the topic of uh, the Grey Cup... Uh, you are a, an ardent watcher of the Canadian Football League. Uh, you watch every Grey Cup. How to an American listener who may have only seen a Super Bowl halftime show, would you compare the Grey Cup halftime show? Um, I mean, it's a lot less pop and stance, a lot less, uh, you know, there's... The, what the hell's popping stance? It's just like a whole load of. It's a, they make it less of a to do. Okay. It's an old, old expression. You never heard that? Pomp and circumstance? Well, it's I've, heard of that. I've never heard of pomp and stance. It's, a, it's an expression. I think you merged <laughs> two words together. <laughs> anyway, they, they make the much less of a to do about it. Uh, I, I feel like there's also. They less, they less beat you over the head with the sponsorship. They'll throw it out there, but it's not like yeah, the Pepsi halftime it, it, show. It's, it's not less, but that's, just be, but that's just because they have less sponsors. That's true. But, I mean, that being said, yeah. you know, they got Fall Out Boy for that one. And I, as much as I'm not a Fall Out Boy fan, they actually did a really good performance when they did it. Uh, Alessia yeah. Cara did a really good job uh, a couple she years did. back. Shania Twain was okay. She got brought out by Sled Dog. You won't see that at the Super Bowl. That's true. <laughs> That's the yeah. other thing. The the halftime show, people will always be cold unless it's in a dome stadium because our <laughs> our great cups in like late November. Yeah, yeah. You get the ones in the prairies that are freezing cold, but Toronto, BC, they're in domes. They're okay. Montreal. Yeah. 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 Um. But, I mean, we try to, especially in the last couple of years, last decade or so, or I'd say two decades, since the production value's really gotten on par with, like, the NFL, there's not really much from a television standpoint that really sets it apart, I'd say. Uh, we got the same type yeah. of graphics teams, same types of cameras. Uh, so It's a little, it's smaller scale. I don't think so. It's smaller scale. Like, they'll hold the great cup. At, well, oh, you know oh, what? It was funny. Sorry, I thought you were talking about like the production value, smaller scale. But yes, the Great Cup is like yeah. it is. It's less of a like the Super Bowl takes two weeks, right? Because they have the media week, and then there's like literally just a week of like practice because they get two weeks from the conference finals. Um, 
where it's like Grey Cup. It's like you, you, you go to the, you take the East or West final, then you're in the Grey Cup the next week. Your media week and your practice week. That's it. Oh yeah. You just go. Yeah. So it is. It they do just get it done. It's less drawn out like in the NFL. Probably because they can't afford to pay them the extra week, but that's that's true. Yeah. Well, you know, it was kind of interesting. I was reading about the particular uh, kind of lineup for the ninety seventh Grey Cup. So there's a, there's a big to do. Like they Friday they have the Grey Cup parade. Now I don't believe there's any kind of Super Bowl parade. And uh, that year, Not after Alicia Cuthbert, Alicia Cuthbert was the Grand Marshal of yeah. the Grey Cup parade. So Saturday night, they had the awards banquet where they hand out all the awards. And yes, all the CFL players who were up, they put on a tux, they sit down, eat dinner with everybody, and Great Big C performed at the awards celebration. Then you had the Grey Cup, and they had, you know how like before the Super Bowl starts, have a couple bands get up and play? They had Econoline Crush before this Grey Cup get up and put on a big show for everybody. And then the Grey Cup happens, and Blue Rodeo goes out and performs. And you had one of the most memorable finishes in the Grey Cup. All in all, I wish I was there. That's weird, because I watched that, but maybe it's because I was watching it with people that I didn't really pay much attention to the start or the middle, because that was when they were busting out some snacks. <laughs> well, they, I don't remember always, that. they don't always televise the uh, the pre-show, so Econoline Crush might have gotten shafted. But also, to be perfectly honest, that was 2007. I would have been 22. Not in the Blue Rodeo in the slightest. So I'm sure they were probably it's like, who's this? Blue Rodeo? Eh, I don't give a shit. Now, I'd, if they did it this year, I'd sit and watch it. But who is playing this well, halftime show? Have they announced it? No. Well, the season hasn't even started yet. Yeah, I know. But I, I don't, don't know. think they've announced it. I don't know how don't know. quickly they put this stuff together. I can't remember. I think it's I mid-season. Know. It's in Hamilton, though, so you can... Ex- it's in Hamilton in December. So, uh, ooh, it'll be a cold one. Who's ever going to... They better get a Canadian to do it. They better wear layers. <laughs> Shania Twain's going to need two sled dogs to get her to the stage. Yeah, but we don't get that much snow. When Shania Twain did it, I think it was in Ottawa, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. They get way more snow than we do. Anyhow, getting past the Great Cup. Just like the boys in Sloan... Blue Rodeo decided to get super ambitious late in their career. Album number 12 was a two-disc set called The Things We Left Behind, which the band again, band again self-produced. It was released in November of 2009 and sold significantly better than their last several releases, achieving platinum status and reaching number six on the Canadian charts. Arizona Dust... Never look back. And waiting for the world were released. As singles, but none of them charted. Uh, this is definitely a Brian last album, as basically every track is a deep cut. You like that? <laughs> uh, praise was very high for the things we left behind. It was long listed for the Polaris Music Awards. Look, the hipsters are catching uh, catching wise to Blue Rodeo. Uh, but eventually, that award would go to Montreal indie rockers Quarka 
and their French language release, Les Quemins des Verts. Never it's heard bad it. enough we lose it to some Frenchies. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, the, the, <laughs> the thoughts and opinions are that of Brian Last and not of the Canada <laughs> FM podcast. <laughs> they were also nominated for Group of the Year at the Junos, but lost to Metric, and their song Arizona Dust appeared on the official Juno Awards compilation that year. Okay. So, Brian, I'll ask you, what did you think of this double disc set? My thumb is so high, you can't even see it in, this, in, the, in the Facebook chat screen. Big thumbs up. Really? Yes. Well, give it up then. What do you got? Uh, I lo- aside from the singles, I loved uh, Sheba. I loved Million yes. Miles. Uh, Hold on. I-, I went through my Spotify and I liked all the stuff. So Sheba was definitely one that I liked. Uh, come on, open you freak. Uh, <laughs> hold on. It's going to take me a second. Things we have fine. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So you like Sheba? I like Sheba, uh, Million Miles, uh, okay. Arizona Dust. Uh, I love yeah, Candace. Uh, wasted. Candace was awesome. Did you get a? Did you feel like a big band? The band vibe on Candace. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Kind of sounds it. like the weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I liked Wasted. Well, the only part of the album that kind of like it was good, but it was also very weird because it just kind of went took a complete like right turn. Was the last two tracks in the album were these long drawn out kind of like folksy jam bandy kind of things. These. Mm. These long kind of just, I don't know. Like, because I think one was like seven minutes, one was like 10, if memory serves. I'd have to, I gotta double check. But uh, yeah, the last two songs on the album were just not like the rest. But uh, I I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I don't know which ones you're talking about just because my listening experience was a lot different than yours. Oh, it was. Uh, uh, I listened to these out. It was Venus Rising and, uh, and When You Wake Up were the two kind of okay. different ones. But, uh, yeah, they're still enjoyable. It just kind of felt like a bit of a departure. It's not, It's like it's like Greg Keeler is just like, hey, man, I'm going to do some acid and just <laughs> fart around. <laughs> well, okay, th- let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Because I, this is what I was thinking about when I was listening to it. Because when I was listening to it, I only listened to it about an hour before we started recording. Um, I But, again, Spotify was giving me the out-of-order sequence. Yeah. But... He wrote my two favorite Blue Rodeo songs. He's written so many great songs. But are you starting to find with Greg Keeler on this album and the two that are about to follow that when you get to his, not not his songs, but his ballads that you're like, all right, I'm going to tune out for six minutes. Yeah, that's like, that's like. Are you getting the fact that his ones, like, are, are you getting to the point though where you're like, after two or three Keelers in a row, you're like, oh, thank God, a Cuddy. Yeah. Like, I'm sort of getting there, and I don't want to give him the Bill Prittle treatment, although we yeah. did do Bill Prittle dirty. <laughs> <laughs> we really did. Um, hey, we apologized in so the mixtape episode. We did apologize. <laughs> He's got so much great work in his repertoire, but it's just on these particularly last three albums. I found that happening to myself. Well, if memory serves, I'd have to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure the way that's laid out in this album, those last two songs that I mentioned are 
uh, those long drawn out bloated songs are yeah are are killers yeah and so it's like literally yeah. it's like it almost feels like Cuddy's like all right we got this great album of fourteen songs and then like let's all go home and then uh, Keeler like sneaks in another band for two other ones like ah, I'm not done here and he just like does these like crazy ones like I I you know who I'm gonna compare him to okay <laughs> I'll compare him to Bruce Keeler. Okay. Do you know how, like, on Bruce's early stuff, he'd change his voice on some songs? I don't know how that voice really sounded like this a little yeah. bit. And he usually did that on, like, ballads and stuff like that. Those are, like, some of my least favorite Bruce songs. And Keeler kind of has a version where he does that, too. Because he's got his, like, real Tom Petty, Bob Dylan sound alike, which I love. Yeah. But he has the other, like, weird, stilted, robotic voice that he'll use on songs. And it's... I just don't like that. Hmm. I get it. Yeah. 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 No, no disrespect to Bruce or Keeler. Like, no. Those two guys are awesome. It's just, you know, it's not my cup of tea. Okay. It's yeah. Not- so I'm actually, I, I'm not as high on this one as you are. No? I'm actually putting it a little bit further down. Yeah. Okay. I'd actually, uh, I'd actually probably say it's on par with, um, actually, I know. I think I like uh, Small Miracles better. Hmm. To be honest with you, out of that five after the low, it's probably uh, at the bottom. But that's just me, and I still like the album. So, we just have a Blue Rodeo standard that we have to play by. That's all. All right. Blue Rodeo, they've been the mainstay of Parliament Hill Canada Day celebrations for years, but they did something very unique in 2011. They were invited to play at Trafalgar Square in London, England, as part of a Canada Day celebration held for Canadian expats and other members of the Commonwealth and supporters of the Commonwealth. That's cool. Cheerio. And uh, (laughs) I kind of like that, you know. (laughs) Wish more Canadian bands would do it, you know what I mean? Go to another country where Canadians are living, take part in that Canada Day celebration, because there are neighborhoods, I know there's a big one in Florida, um, where they will have a big Canada Day celebration. And Canadians from all over the South will go, and they'll let off fireworks, and yeah. That's sweet. Yeah, so I, 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 I guess they do it in England, too. So I'm sure they do it all over the place. Um, in 2012, Blue Rodeo reached the pinnacle of their careers as they were inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Now, the induction ceremony took place at the Juno Awards, and to mark the occasion, they performed Lost Together with their frequent collaborator... Collaborator? Got it. Fuck that one up. And, and good friend, Sarah McLaughlin. And it's a really, really nice performance. Now, usually don't put much of a focus on lineup changes. This is kind of a sad one. Um, in 2013, guitarist Colin Cripps was added to Blue Rodeo's lineup. And the reason he joined the band was that Greg Keeler was having some very serious hearing issues. And as a result, he couldn't play the electric guitar anymore live. They just couldn't mic it. He couldn't. His hearing issues were so bad he couldn't be shouldered without responsibility. Huh. Yeah, because so the I was watching an interview with them on Strombo, and he had the hearing aids in. I'm like him and like Cuddy's like in perfect health and everything. I'm like, what the hell happened? But uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So that's why you see him. He's playing his acoustic guitar, but he's just kind of strumming along, you know. And yeah, it's part of the timing, and you know he knows how to play. Hasn't hit me yet while he's wailing away in the guitar, so it's easier for him to play it. So. But yeah, 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 this new guy, Crips, is playing the guitar. So, I 
little sad. You know what I mean? That's a career in the music industry. It can be hazardous to your health. Well, I mean, uh, what was I going to say? Huey Lewis in the news had to take like a three-year hiatus or four years because of uh, Huey had... It's not tinnitus. It's something worse. I forget what it's called, but he... He had hearing issues, and so he never thought he would actually play again, but I think he's gotten it under control. I think it was, like, it almost caused, like, vertigo, like, the hearing issues. Yeah, it was all, like, screwy with his uh, inner earlobe, but I think Mm. he's got it fixed, because they put out that weather, this, that album called Weather, like, during the pandemic. Mm. Get it? Sports. Weather. The news. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's his whole whole thing now. I like it. And uh, Danny Elfman, like, years ago, even after, like, he got old. He's like, I'll never tour with Longo Boingo for the sole reason of hearing, like, irrefer- irreversible hearing loss. So, it happens to the best of us. Did anything happen to the guys for the replacements for their hearing? <sighs> well, one is dead. The massive, other... Massive, massive. You know what, Ted? You're being really sassy oh, British today. trip hop. Did anything happen to those right. guys? They're sorry, I'm just going this over. This has been a slice. I'm this Come has on, been a slice. Get I'm gonna hang up now. Don't get mad! You fucking cunt. <laughs> Just call me a cunt? Yes! Five minutes later. Alright, for the recording of their 2013 album, In Our Nature, Blue Rodeo took the same path as they did for five days in July. This time, instead of recording it in Jim Cuddy's farmhouse, they went to Greg Keeler's farmhouse, just outside of Peterborough. Now, by this point, the music timeline, people were largely streaming or downloading their music. But I think it's safe to say that Blue Rodeo's target demographic still buys their music because this album reached number two on the Canadian charts and eventually obtained gold status. Lead off track, New Morning Sun. which is an excellent tune to listen to first time thing in the morning. That charted at number 36 on the adult contemporary charts and reached number 48 on the rock charts. Kind of a rare appearance for Blue Rodeo on the rock charts, but there they were. It's soft never rock. Too, it, it, it is soft rock, but ultimately most of their singles in Canada have landed either on adult contemporary or country or yeah. just top 40. That's it, it's, it's rare to see them on the rock charts, which... It's nice. Yeah. Shows are very versatile. Exactly. We both look at them as a rock band, not as a country band. So they finally got it right. Never Too Late and When the Truth Comes Out were also released as singles. And the band were once again up for Juno of the Year, but they lose to Tegan and Sarah. Uh, I think 2013 was a bit of a juggernaut year for Tegan and Sarah. That would have been Sainthood, I think. Is that Boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah. They were were crushing it back then, so. Although that yeah. was also their kind of sellout album because that was when they kind of ditched the kind of rocky, folky stuff. And I feel like, no, sorry. That was, St. Hood still had a lot of good rock songs. That was the album after because they went on tour with Katy Perry and everything. So no, I'll give it up for St. Hood. That's fine. Sorry, I, re- okay. I, re- I retract that. Reel it back. All right. Well, what'd you think of this one, Brian? Um, It was good. Like, uh, it's just, it was weird. Maybe it's because I wasn't fully focused when I was listening to this. Because I liked New Morning Sun. I liked, uh, what was that other one? Mattawa. I thought that one was really good. Mattawa. Now, here's what's interesting about Mattawa. I wanted to bring this up. I always get confused as a news guy. Because up here in Thunder Bay, there's a First Nation called Mattawa. Spelt the same way. As another First Nation in central Ontario near Perry Sound called Mattawa. 
Oh. So it was definitely a bit of a screwy Louie when I moved up here, <laughs> and I had to change the pronouncer. But yeah, Matawa in northern Ontario, Matawa in central Ontario. Anyhow, go ahead. But honestly, aside from that, like the songs, and it's also it's kind of fitting that the songs called in or the albums called In Our Nature because it just felt like a very peaceful album. But it wasn't yeah, like yeah, I get that. It wasn't this like you know dynamic in terms of songs going up and down and all around. It felt very just kind of even tone, keel kind of keeler. Eh. Um, yeah. But uh, eh. it's almost ten thirty at night here. I'm, uh, I'm running on empty. What do you want from me? <laughs> I, I I wrote same old, same old. Yeah, like solid release, but same old, same old. Like it was just like a nice like. I mean, if you were sitting at a cottage first thing in the morning, this would be a nice listen. If you're sitting at the dock, as my dad yeah. would like to do at my grandma's cottage, doing his little cross, <laughs> not even a crossword, word searches. <laughs> Everyone's got their own little brain teaser. I know. It's good to keep you sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote a couple of notes here. Let's see if you agree with these. Uh, for New Morning Sun, I wrote good lead off. Yep, absolutely. Never, never too late. I wrote big Eagles vibes. Yep. Where the truth comes out, classic Cuddy. That's all I wrote <laughs> was classic Cuddy. I guess it kind of reminded me of the old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Paradise. I wrote nice and smooth. Keeler, seventies AM radio. Yeah. Uh, tell me again, most cowboy? No, most country. That was their most country tune on the album. Uh, yeah, Matawa, really good road trip song. Made your mind up. Uh, love it. Build. Oh, love the way it builds. There we yeah. go. And then finally, In the Darkness, I wrote Big Tom Patty. Um, you know those weird? were kind of the big jump out tracks for you. Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah. When okay. the, uh, So when I was doing our little, you know, on the Instagram, follow the Instagram if you haven't already, Canon FM. Yeah. Um, when I do my little mashup for like music videos, uh, when I was mm-hmm. looking up uh, New Morning Sun, they actually the the video because the the, the video is like a guy driving in a car, and then like the band's yeah. playing, and so he'll like turn the radio dial, and it'll actually it, it was like a split video with Madawa. Yeah. It was yeah. so weird, but I was like, it was <laughs> weird. So when I listened to it, the um. YouTube channel I listen to where you go and you play the album. Uh, for whatever reason, they always incorporate the videos. Yeah. So for New Morning Sun and for Madawa, they just played the exact same music video. <laughs> so I had the same song come on twice. I never actually got to hear them in their entirety as, you know, Keeler and Cuddy intended. But I can always go back and listen. But yeah, I noticed yeah. that too. And I thought, like, these are two really good songs. It'd be nicer if you Yeah, they each had up. their own do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a weird one. Weird decision. Um, now, stars of the little Canadian Walk of Fame. Those are pretty good. A place in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. That's nice. But in 2014, Blue Rodeo would receive the Governor General's Performance Arts Award, the highest honor a Canadian artist can receive. They are now officially our equivalent of royalty. So basically, we don't have that. knights. They're, they're, they're of knighthood. Wow. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you can't get any higher than these guys. They are the top of Everest. And here's the thing. When you're at the top of Everest, you don't keep climbing. You don't make another couple of mountains. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> these guys keep going. 
All right, A Merry Christmas to You was released in 2014. Um, I didn't listen to this one because it's July, but it contains 10 songs, including Glad to Be Alive from Palace of Gold and nine covers. And Brian, I'm sure you love this one. What are the covers? Christmas Must Be Tonight by the band. Oh, nice. That's uh, one of your favorite songs. It's beautiful. It's, it is beautiful. And I'm, it, those, it's, uh, it's, I still can't decide if I like that one or Fairy Tale more. For in terms of like my favorite Christmas song, but mm. I think it's I'll give it up to the band. It's too good yeah, of a song. Well, the band, the band is put it this way: the band Christmas was be tonight is like a Christmas story or a Christmas carol. It is a Christmas song, whereas Fairy Tale of New York is like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon. That's it's that's a good song comparison. It happens yeah. to take place at Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Blue Rodeo isn't a band that dabbles that much into politics. But Jim Cuddy is a committed environmentalist, and the group's members are part of the charity Artists Against Racism. And in 2015, they had about all they could take of Prime Minister Stephen Harper and released the single Stealing All of My Dreams, which chronicles Harper's failures in office. I should also note that Cuddy's brother, Loftus Cuddy, which is... Kind of a cool name. I didn't realize how much I like the name Loftus until just now. Loftus ran for the Harper Conservatives in the Toronto Danforth riding in 2004. So the conversations around the Cuddy family dinner table at Thanksgiving must have been pretty intense. Yeah, because well, I, I read that. And I, yeah. that's why I figured those two would have been two Ps, like both conservatives. But I guess when people who are in the artsy-fartsy community tend to shift more liberal, so, I mean, it, makes, it would make sense. And also, Ian, like, he really cares about the environment. Like, I these mean, guys own farmhouses because they farm. Yeah, you when, you, I mean? when you mentioned that, like, I knew that Jim Cuddy had one. I didn't think Keeler had one, too. I was like... Oh, yeah. I'm like, you guys are like skilled musicians why the hell would you farm on top of this like what you you greedy bastard you need more money but i'm sure you they know, probably keeler, have keeler might keeler might smoke a little something something when he's on the uh the tractor but uh <laughs> they're they're farmers nonetheless yeah 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 but anyway uh the most recent blue rodeo release was 1000 arms which came out in october of 2016 and after a string of self-produced releases they turned to Rio Statics bassist Tim Vesley to produce this one. And beyond his own band, the Rio Statics and the Violet Archers, this is one of Vesley's few production credits that he has. And uh, it's easily his highest profile. I wonder now, what made them go to him of all that... the people. Peculiar. Oh, years of touring? The friends with him? Yeah, I guess. Probably, it's probably what you said earlier. They trust his musical opinion. Yeah, that's fair. And they just wanted that guy in there who could give them the direction that they wanted. Maybe they got a little tired of uh, producing their own shit, and they just wanted a different uh, vibe for this one. Yeah, that's you fair. Know? And, and you got to mix it up a little bit, especially when you've been around 30 years like Blue Rodeo has. Yeah. Uh, the boys reached the point in their careers where singles, they just weren't a big thing anymore, and they only put out one for a thousand arms, the track Superstar. Hey, all hail the Superstar. Completely shut out of the Juno Awards. Not a single nomination. I think it's the first time since Diamond Mine that that happened. Wasn't Diamond Mine shut out? I think so. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it's been a while. 
It's been a long while. Um, but a lot more energy, I thought, on this album. Yeah, I was going to say. What did you think? Just like uh, how we talked about with Sloan, by the time they got to the end with 12, I mean, not the end, they're still going. Uh, it, this one still had a lot of kick, a lot of great songs. Oh, yeah. And I, I almost put it up in the top of the back half it's still not quite the to the tier of the classic blue rodeo but it's still like for how current it is it's very easy for a band to rest on their laurels and say we're blue rodeo people will buy this shit and uh just you know release a turd but they released another solid album they did yeah i thoroughly enjoyed this one uh i can't hide this anymore i thought it was fantastic thought that was a great opener yeah love the vocals on that one uh, what else do I have on here? Jimmy Fall Down, kind of a throwback to the early uh, their early stuff. Uh, what did I write here? Kind of a throwback to their early work. They don't usually do whatever that means. <laughs> Rabbit's Foot, great driving Southern rock dude. I was gonna 1, say one thousand yep, arms. Yep. Yeah, one thousand arms of a sucker for. Uh, oh, I love Superstar. Uh, stuff Superstar, fun and bouncy. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, that was why I liked the Thousand Arms. They said I'm a sucker for story songs. I can't read my chicken scratch. And that was kind of like those country story songs that Ray yeah. Charles loved so much in the movie Ray. I love the stories. <laughs> uh, I like Mascara Teen a lot. I thought that was, there's a, a Keeler ballad that's kind of a throwback. No, Mascara Tears. I was going to say, Jesus, I can't read my writing. The Mascara Teens. <laughs> Brian, I think we've got ourselves a new uh, pop punk band. And uh, So Hard to See, I really liked as well. Yep. Miss anything? No, those are like honestly, like top to bottom. This was some uh, another just strong rock album, and uh, I think this it was the hard to remember is where they're like I really like it where they're both singing together very well, harmonizing. Yes, and it was yes. great. They don't do it enough. Yeah, they don't. You know, we're listening to Sloan last week where like Chris Murphy would sing a line on a J song. I would love to hear Keeler jump in with a line on a Cuddy song. Mm -hmm. Why not do that? Well, you know what? They're going to put out another album. You know they are. Like so, <laughs> something they haven't done yet. I think they were churning we'll out something during the pandemic. Uh, Keeler put out an album. Oh, that's what it was. Sorry, I thought they were doing yeah, something yeah, together. Keeler put out an album. Yeah. Well, one final note before we wrap it up. Uh, Blue Rodeo. And it comes in 2017. About a year before the passing of Gord Downey. George Strombolopoulos put together a mixtape, if you will, called The Hip 30, which included an array of tragically hip songs, as well as a whole bunch of covers by Canadian artists. And uh, Jim Cuddy and Gord Downey were very good friends. And uh, Blue Rodeo was given the honor of uh, covering Bob Cajun. Oh, wow. Beloved hip songs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. It's really weird seeing them perform it, you know? From a Canadian standpoint... It's like seeing Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones cover Hey Jude. You know, it's it's odd. You know what I mean? Like, these yeah. two things should go together, but I know something's not right here. You know yeah. what I mean? But, of course, Cuddy sings it in his his way, and it's a little bit different than Gord's, and uh, I love it. Well, that's why if you're going to cover a song, you got to make it your own. Otherwise, don't even do it. I'll just listen to the hip version. <laughs> All right, so before uh, we wrap this up, I'm interested from you. Give me your favorite song and favorite album from the first half and favorite song, favorite album from the second half. 
Um, let's see. I gotta give it up for Outskirts. Outskirts was just fantastic. It came in so strong, and wow. it was, and it was so good. Um, now in terms, that's high praise for a debut album too. I mean, sometimes you know, I mean, these guys have ex- like you know set the bar higher and higher every time. Some some bands has come on the scene so strong and they can never duplicate what they've made. Um, in terms of my favorite song, did you say favorite song as well as favorite album from that first? Yeah, give half? me give me a favorite song for that first half. Yeah, and same with the second half. I think my favorite song. Here you go. I'm still deciding. Okay, I, I know all you know me. I'm the, more of the singles guy, so I think first half I'd go favorite album would be Five Days in July. Favorite song hasn't hit me yet. Second half, favorite album. I think I'm gonna go with. Uh, oh come on, where's your notes here, Ted? Come on, read through this. Uh, Palace of Gold's the one that had the horn section, right? Yeah. Yeah, Palace of Gold. That was my favorite of the uh, the last half. And a single from Tremolo. It can happen to you. I love it can happen to you. Yeah. yeah. There's my picks. All right. Well, I know for the second half albums, it's a tight tie between... Because uh, actually, it really I was surprised how much it snuck up on me, but I really liked A Thousand Arms. But uh, it's, a, it's a tight tie between that one and um, uh, Days in Between. Okay. Uh, but one of my favorite songs off the back half would be. Where the fuck is it? I can never keep track of what songs were on one album. Come on, dum dum. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Just because it took me by such surprise. Yeah. Cinema song. I loved Cinema Song. Okay. Off uh, yeah, of uh, Days in Between. It was just a weird, like, uh, uh, what's that word? The Like a scrappy underdog. Just a, came out of nowhere and won my ear holes. Yeah. Well, we'll see which one of those appears on our respective playlists at the end of uh, season number two. All right, Brian. On Canada FM, we always try to figure out why certain bands didn't make it beyond Canada. Tell me. We listened to a lot of Blue Rodeo these last two weeks. Yes. Why the heck did they not make it big in the U.S.? I mean... Part of it, to be perfectly honest, I think is the... With their such diversity... In terms of their musical sound, it's one of those things that they, it's possible to fall through some cracks in terms of like you can't, like if they were trying to put them on a bill in the States, like let's say they got someone to vouch for them in the States. It's, I mean, they could mm-hmm. pretty much play with anybody, but it's like, who, do, yeah. who in the States do they sound like? Well, it's kind of hard to pin down because, you know, sometimes they want like minded bands or like sounding bands. Uh, so that's kind of hard to do. Um, you, you know, you bring that up, and that's interesting because I had something very similar in my notes because, like, yeah, they were way too country for the rock scene of the early 90s, and they were definitely way too rock for the Nashville country that was blowing up. But the adult alternative scene, how about a couple of these? Melissa Etheridge, just off the top of my head, they'd fit well with, with her. 
Blues Traveler. Yeah. Um, who else did it? Like Matchbox 20? I know that they're a lot younger than Blue Rodeo, <laughs> but it's not that far. It's not that far of a stretch. Yeah. Uh, I even I even said, what about a heavy hitter like Paul McCartney or Elton John or Sting? Uh, yeah, actually, those could go pretty well. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, too, is the... I know they had record deals, but the self-producing thing, uh, like, did they do that and then they took it to the record label, just, like, put this out? Or what, did they have to, like, find... Were they always shopping it around? Because that is also something that could have hurt them as well, if... Depending on what happened. They didn't change labels that much, though. You know what I mean? Like, they were oh, okay. on Risk Disc, and then they were on Warner Music. And I think they might have changed labels one more time, but it wasn't like a thing with, like, like with Sloan, where they changed labels a whole bunch, or Treble Charger, where they changed labels a whole bunch. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they, when you... they had consistency throughout their career. Okay. Um, Because yeah. I was like, I don't know. It's It's a head-scratcher. Yeah, but I mean, also, you look at something like, you know, The Hip is one of their best, like, Gordani is one of Jim Cuddy's best friends. You know, they suffered a very similar mm. fate. and That's true. So it's one of those things. Maybe some of these bands can't just, because uh, you definitely can't say something like, oh, it's too Canadian in terms of, like, their references. Or, I mean, maybe some things might be. I think with Blue Rodeo, you could say that. Yeah. You know, we, we, we've seen, they, they reference Toronto, Thunder Bay, Montreal. Yeah. The western skies of the prairies. Yeah. But, I mean, you can yeah. almost, like, you know, if you lived in Montana, you could appreciate this exact same thing. But, That's uh, true. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't think American audiences, because people have said that about the hip, too, that they're just too Canadian for the U.S. I don't think an American audience is going to go, well, 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 hold on, hold on. Did he mention Toronto? Yeah. yeah. Turn it off. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Turn it off. I don't want that. Although it's fu- it's funny I don't, that... I don't think that's how it works. It's funny that you mentioned the two Canadian things. So last weekend, I was watching that Woodstock 99 documentary, and... Yeah. Oh, is it, is it out? Yeah. I, uh, I, did, a, oh, I did a little okay. quarantine. Um, there's a couple <laughs> things I kind of wish they laid a little bit more in depth in. It kind of fell a little flat. It kind of disappointed me, because, you know, in the trailer... Uh, where they're talking about the, this one black guy is a journalist. He's like, you know, all this white rage just ended up in like message boards twenty years later. They didn't. They didn't barely talked about that. Like they talked about like the white suburbanite rage angle, but they never talked about like the future, like where these fans grew up to be. And because there was this like they they left it so interesting that there like there could have been this neat political angle behind it about like you know with the reddit and the QAnon all these things and like these white angry guys in their computers that's that's where i thought they were gonna go but they completely left it off the table but uh <laughs> i think he was i know what you mean like in 2021 someone talking about white rage is a lot different than 1999 yeah um, i think he was talking more about suburban angst yeah but anyway, yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah. in the documentary, they got the their hands on the this guy's journal, who was documenting the whole thing, but it was the journal of a guy who died. Holy shit! Yeah, he was he uh, he suffered such heat stroke he went into hypothermia. Uh, oh but my God. he was documenting day one with the hip, 
And he's like, everyone brought their Canadian flags. It was too Canadian. Didn't like. It. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, maybe you're right. <laughs> maybe if you are too Canadian, it'll turn off. I, I think he was more. I don't wow. think he had a, as much of a problem with the hip as the fans. But either way, I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Um, and for us, like, Canadian music fans, that's viewed as like for me, that's like one of the greatest moments in Canadian music history. Yeah, seeing the hip play at Woodstock and just the Canadian pride everywhere. Yeah, that's um, one of my favorite moments. Yeah, but yeah, in terms of the whole Blue Rodeo thing, I'm the only other thing I could potentially think of is. You know, I know I, I, I said a very colorful word last time to describe the type of country music. I won't repeat it again, but... Uh, oh, what was it? I called it country. It was country. funny. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was a little aggressive, but... Uh, it made my wife laugh when we were listening to it in the car. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um, I th- Actually, she, she loved that last episode. Oh, that's nice. Uh, but... Maybe the the full blown like bro country resurgence that we grew to loathe in the two thousands. Maybe they it was there because they were so established. They just couldn't have dug in and caught that wave. I don't know. Maybe they just missed it. Beca- I don't think that they were ever going to catch that wave. No, but they're too. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, like, even if like you know you get some Chesney. Who's the guy that's married to Nicole Kidman? Paisley? Oh, uh, no, no, no. That's um, Keith Urban. Yeah, maybe something like that. Because uh, they're around the same age. Like, if he could have brought them on for a few dates in around the States as an opening act, e- even in their you know 50s and 60s, it's never too late to get blown up to another audience. You know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah. Maybe they could have caught that, but I don't know. I'm stumped. Well, you know, your guess is as good as mine as well. Because I'm stumped as to why they didn't make it. Basically, I said, had maybe, like, the Blues Traveler put them on the Horde Festival, or the Horde Tour, whatever the fuck they called it, their jam band tour. Yeah. Maybe that would have helped. Maybe if they got put on, like, Woodstock 94, which did have a lot of, you know, the band played Woodstock 94. Um, it had a lot of that 60s, 70s revival on there mixed in with the alt rock in the 90s. Maybe that would have helped. Maybe they just had a bigger platform to express this. Maybe if, like, the Grand Ole Opry wasn't so snooty yeah. as to what they considered that Nashville sound, and they let in these Canadian boys who, you know, considered themselves to be a country act, even though it's not like the Eagles ever played the Grand Ole Opry. That's true. But, and I always compare, you know, Blue Rodeo to the Eagles a little bit more. Um... That's another thing. I think it's a big missed opportunity, and I think that they could have really succeeded in the U.S. I think these songs are songs that are relatable for anybody. Well, that's the other thing, too. Like, we talked about in episode one, some of those big music festivals were not as much of a thing. Like, yeah, Woodstock 94 was, but, you know, like, they could have easily fit in in a, like, a Bonnaroo or something like that in there if they were younger. Now, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't want well, to play know, Bonnaroo now, bands. but... Yeah, yeah but do. now there's that scene. There's the there's the Wilcos of the world yeah. and the drive-by truckers of the world and stuff Lu- like that. That Lucero. alternative country. Yeah, Lucero's another great one. Um, that alternative country scene 
Blue Rodeo fits in with seamlessly. Yeah. And they were doing it years before. So there you go. I think it's just maybe another example of a Canadian group being streets ahead. <laughs> I think that's what it is. All right. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of Blue Rodeo over the last two weeks. Yes, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was some great music. And um, next week, we are going to, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her this distinction right now. We are going to welcome in the first lady of Canada FM, Miss Amanda Marshall. We are going to profile her. Only three albums, which is really good because I got a busy week at work. So this will be a lot easier to write than the Blue Rodeo ones were. But holy shit, she's got a great voice. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one a lot. You know especially that funny? first album of hers. Yeah. When I was younger, I for the longest time, I used to have a bit of a beef with Amanda Marshall for the wrong reason. I got her really? con- I got her confused with Joan Osborne. That that What If God Was One of Us song. Yeah. And so when I was a kid, uh, I remember this specifically. Right before school, my family did a yearly trip to the CNE, the X. And yeah. my brother and I, do you remember this ride? It was called the Crazy Dance. You're in these either like blue, red, or white little cars, and they're kind of rotating and spinning okay. at the same time. And so my brother and I are on this ride, and it's sort like... Of. Like, we're spinning around, having fun, but they're playing What If God Was One Of Us. So I'm literally sitting on this ride like this, severely bummed out. I can't even enjoy it. Like, the song really made me what sad. A terrible song to play on a ride! I know. And so <laughs> oh I... Oh, my God! For, I think I asked my brother, I'm like, who is this? And I think he said Amanda Marshall. I could be wrong. I could be misremembering this. Uh, like, I don't know. Someone told me that yeah. song was Amanda Marshall. I can't remember who it was. And so for a while, oh, I'm like, man, oh, she sucks. And then everyone got a story comes out. And I'm like, oh, she's great. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. wrong well, this whole time. Some, we're going to have some fun next week profiling Amanda Marshall on Canada FM. That's something I'm looking forward to. And uh, yeah, if you have an artist that you'd like us to cover, let us know. Send us a DM on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Spotify. Leave us a five-star review on the old Apple Music. Got it right this time. Yeah. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter, too, and retweet all the good Twittering we do. Uh, I think that's that. Did I forget anything? Oh, you know what I forgot to tell you? Uh. I forgot to tell you. I almost got to, I almost got to uh, interview... Uh, Jim Cuddy once. Oh, really? I completely forgot about this last week. Yeah. So Blue Rodeo came to Perry Sound, and they were going to do a big show at our hockey arena when I worked in Perry Sound. And, of course, their touring management, they spent all kinds of money to for advertising on the station, right? And I was supposed to interview Cuddy. He was going to call in at around 11, and I was going to take his phone call and talk to him about all kinds of stuff. His son opened for him on that door. But of course, Jim Cuddy living on a farmhouse and living the farmer lifestyle. He's an early riser. So he called in about an hour and a half before my shift even started. Oh my god. And our morning guy Kent Matheson answered the phone and he got to interview Jim Cuddy. And uh, his interview actually played as the, he cut it down and played it as the commercial for the show uh, leading up to it. It was actually a pretty good little interview he did. And uh, I didn't go to the show either because I wasn't into Blue Rodeo at the time and I would have had to go by myself and I didn't know what the seats were going to be like. You never know what kind of weirdo you're standing there going to a concert by yourself sucks you know it's like losing your friends at a concert you know when, you, when you're there and you can't find anybody yeah. it sucks 
So now, now I deeply regret it. And <laughs> uh, next time they play Thunder Day or wherever I'm at, you bet your ass I'm going to go see them. Good stuff. That's it. It's my little Blue Rocker story. Before, right. I mean, <laughs> I'll cut this out, but random... Uh, did you know the new Suicide Squad movie has 96% on Rotten Tomatoes? Wow. Yeah. There you go. It's James Gunn's vision. Yeah. They just let him at it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Just I didn't like the first one at all. Oh, it was a steamer. It stunk. So them going out there and having a sequel that blows the original out of the water like this could be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Well, the, the, the um, thing is, gone and yeah. The thing is, David Ayer is fine visually, and he's he has no problems with that. It's he they shouldn't have let him write it. They should have had someone else write it. It would have been fine, probably. Mm. Uh, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but well, James Gunn just has a better handle on this type of material. Yeah, he knows how to balance it out. And they were always kind of going for the Suicide Squad being their guardians anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Their wild card and everything like that. Yeah. So it's actually interesting. In the interview I saw with James Gunn, you know how they're doing a uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special? Oh, really? For uh, Disney Plus? That is going to be an in canon movie that he's shooting at the same time as Guardians 3. That will lead directly into Guardians 3. So it'll be like a funny Christmas adventure, like a short little hour and 15 minute thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's going to be in canon. Interesting. But yeah, no, Gunn says he's he's just going to work on Suicide Squad after this third Guardians. And then Batista says he's out and Prattle's still probably Prattle along. And I hope they don't lose Bradley Cooper as Rocket because he's great. Well, I mean... You know, I've, some of these movies seem to have a three life, three movie shelf life, and then like either the actors move on or like they're they move on to a new phase where they don't need those characters right now. So, yeah. who knows? But you know, with, with the Guardians, it can make it like the Avengers. You know, you just always have weird space misfits joining up. And well, look what they're doing now with Thor. Through. Yeah. Well, Thor. We'll we'll see because apparently, um, apparently, like. Chris Pratt and Dave Batista are, and I think Diesel, so I think Groot. So I think it's going to be the three of them. It's going to be like Star Lord, Drax, and Groot okay. are going to be in Thor Love and Thunder. Oh. Um, but only like at the beginning and at the end. Okay. You know, because they do have to it's like fill they're, this. Cause they're just Guardians crossing th- paths kind of thing? Yeah. So basically, they kind of had to rework Thor Love and Thunder because Guardians 3 was supposed to come out before um, Thor Love and Thunder. But when they rehired Gunn to do Guardians 3 after they fired him, he had already committed to do Suicide Squad. And he's like, I gotta finish Suicide Squad before I do it. Can you push it back? And they're like, yeah, because we want you to be the guy to do it. Yeah. So they pushed it back and they pushed Thor Love and Thunder forward, totally forgetting that, oh yeah, Thor's a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy now, what are we going to do? Yeah. So basically he's going to be like with them at the beginning, he's going to leave them, and they'll be like back with them Okay. somehow. So I don't quite know what's going to go on, but they've, uh, they're redoing the, um, like you remember the scene with Matt Damon in uh, Ragnarok? Oh yeah. So Damon is back to play actor Loki. Um... <laughs> 
Melissa McCarthy is playing actor Hella when they redo this reenactment. <laughs> and they're going to have someone play Thanos too, apparently. And uh, Russell Crowe is in it. And he's going to play Zeus. Huh. And Christian Bale's the villain. So it's shaping up to be a heavy, heavy, heavy cast. Interesting. Yeah, so good days are on the horizon for Marvel Studios. And uh, they're probably pretty happy that uh, they killed off, uh, what's it called? Black Widow, because Scarlett Johansson's never going to work with him again. Yeah. <laughs> you heard about yeah. the uh, the whole shenanigans. You know what? It, they, 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 they fucked her. They really did. And I know she's a big-time actress... And I know she's got millions of dollars and she's not going to the poorhouse. Yeah. But still, they did fuck her on that. Well, that's the thing, right? It's all like, the actors should be getting a portion of that. Well, that's the thing. You know, you not everyone gets percentages in their deal. But if you have it worked out in your contract, that's a legally binding thing that you're entitled to. And if you're intentionally going this roundabout way to try to screw her over, that's kind of yeah. I mean they still get it still got a very delayed theatrical release but so like they technically honored it but it's like it's still like they hand, they handcuffed her to what she could potentially get because yeah. those Marvel movies even something like it's a lower echelon thing like a Black Widow still could easily earn three to five hundred mil probably it's it's built in that much exactly yeah it's guaranteed to make that kind of money yeah so yeah no they, they fucked her good that was, uh... You really fucked I me, Larry. Money. You fucked me hard. <laughs> you fucked me hard! <laughs> Boy, I watched that episode this morning with Funkhauser. Where he's like, you are a colossal prick. He's like, I do. <laughs> Two single guys at a ball game. <laughs> Same episode. Yeah. All right, Hold well... On. That's a show. Before you, oh, okay. before you, we we stop recording, because we never actually did a proper sign off or said what we're doing next time. So, yes, we did. No, you never. Talked about Amanda, oh, Amanda Marshall. Marshall, right? Uh, for some yeah, reason, I had it yeah. in my head that we were doing Serial Joe. No, because I moved up Serial Joe. Okay. So if you leave this in, that's fine. Initially, I had Serial Joe for like the fifth or the sixth episode, but because they've only got like four albums. Yeah, and I think some of the other bands I wanted to do like Halucci Nations got five. Marius Trench only has four. Oh, really? I thought they had a lot more. I thought they had like Gobs got like six. six or seven. Um, the Tea Party only has like four or five, but like April Wine's got sixteen. Um, who was the other one that had a ton? Swollen members have eleven. I was oh. surprised at how many they, they kept churning out albums this whole time, and that surprised me. So I went with the two shortest discographies, and that happened to be Amanda Marshall and Serial Joe. So we're going to do those two next. Sounds good. And yeah, that was the method behind my madness. So until next time, I'm Ted. I'm Brian. Skedaddle. Skedaddle. Who talks like that? Yeah.